All right, uh, good evening. We are uh, in the, our auditorium class this evening, uh, continuing our study on uh, track lessons. If you haven't been with us in a while, we've been going through some of those tracks that we you know, have out in the foyer uh, that uh, sometimes we just walk by and uh, don't even bother to you know, even look at them. And some of them, we have quite a few. And so uh, that's what I've been trying to do over the past uh, couple of months as we've been looking at some of these tracks that we've just got plenty of and wanting to get you acquainted with them and uh, you to take some and hand them out to others. And so uh, we've been uh, looking at quite a bit of them. And the, the, so number six tonight, the sixth one that we're going to look at is A Thief Who Has Robbed Us All. And again, uh, there's plenty on that back table. There's plenty out on the foyer back there if you want to grab one after class. Uh, but last week, if you recalled, we, look at that, we looked at the one that kind of had a misleading uh, title. Remember, it was, uh, you know, was Joan of Arc really Noah's wife? And uh, that, that title was kind of misleading, I think. That's why we had, out of all the tracks that we had, we had, you know, close to 50 of those, I think. I don't think people, or I think people, what they did was they looked at that track and they said, you know, that's something I really don't want to study. But really, that wasn't uh, really what the whole lesson was about, but it was more about, you know, Bible study. And we, so we talked about, well, can we really know the truth? And of course, the answer is yes. And then we looked at, well, here are some reasons why, you know, people don't invest into studying the scriptures. And, and so I thought that was a pretty uh, interesting study last week. Hopefully you did as well. And again, there's plenty of those tracks out there. If that's something that interests you into, you know, maybe talking to somebody about a Bible study or getting interested in Bible study, uh, hopefully, you know, that, that's something that you could use. And so, again, this one, uh, this evening that we're going to look at, uh, it looks like this. Again, a thief who has robbed us all. Has anyone here ever been the victim of a thief, a robber? Uh, maybe your own personal home? Vehicle? Pickpocketed? Nobody? Uh, one? Okay. A couple? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, that's happened to plenty of us. Uh, the statistic um, that it's given in the track is... Uh, and again, you know, I think this was written about 20 years ago, so the, the statistic might not be the greatest, but he says 169.7 out of every thousand people in any given year will be a victim of theft. So I guess that's uh, about 17% of, every, uh, of everybody uh, every year is going to deal uh, with uh, theft. And it's violating, isn't it, to think that someone would come into your home under the cover of darkness or maybe while you're not there and go through your things and uh, take what they want and uh, you know uh, you know maybe you work in a retail or something like that or have worked in retail and you know a lot of theft occurs there right when you're on the job and uh, you kind of you know you get upset about that right but you might just write that off uh, because it's your job but at your home you know that really really gets you doesn't it someone comes into your home Right and take something, and I think it's just so interesting that in today's society, you know, we have those um, what do they call it, ring doorbells. You know, it seems like everyone has those nowadays, but people still rob homes, right? With all the cameras, with all the smartphone technology, with all the you know the the ability that we have to protect our home, people still do it, and I don't understand it. Um, 
But again, perhaps you have been violated by the hands of an uninvited visitor. And, you know, even today we have to not only guard our physical possessions, but, uh, you know, what's even harder nowadays that we have to guard against? I know some of my talkers are gone tonight, so I need some people to speak up tonight. But what about, what about e-theft? What about internet theft? What about cyber crimes? Identity. Identity theft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are things that, you know, we didn't have to worry about 20, 30 years ago. But now, it, you know, people halfway across the world, right, are, are attempting to, you know, steal our, our hard-earned funds now, uh, trying to steal our identity, you know, take out loans in our names and stuff. And so it's happening all the time. And you know, we also, we live in a society that sometimes we prop up thieves and robbers, right? And, uh, you know, Robin Hood, of course, is probably one of the most famous, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Jesse James. Uh, isn't there a story about Columbia that he robbed a bank here in Columbia? Uh, yeah. But uh, when we think about him, you know, there's all these movies made about his life, right? Uh, books written about his life. Uh, you know, people are interested in that type of person. Bonnie and Clyde, uh, of course, we could think of. Uh, D.B. Cooper, you know, those things intrigue us. And so sometimes we prop those individuals up. But really, the, the idea of this lesson tonight is we're going to talk about a thief who has robbed us all. And again, if you uh, understand Brother Alan Webster's uh, writing technique, uh, as we've seen throughout these past weeks, um, we're not talking about an actual person, but what we're going to be talking about tonight is sin, right? Sin has robbed each and every one of us and a thief that we've all had to deal with. And, and so that's going to be uh, the idea here tonight. And so uh, the first thing we want to talk about here uh, is his first point is that sin steals the innocence from one's mind. You know, I... I Kind of a side note, but I really like these tracks because they're kind of set up in a sermon format, and so he gives us four points here. But again, the first point he talks about is that sin steals the innocence of one's mind. And so let's, let's go all the way back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve, uh, Genesis chapter 3, of course, um, their innocence was stolen, wasn't it? Yeah, the serpent, right? I mean, everything was good for them, wasn't it? And they're there in the garden, and... Uh, of course, uh, there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord God uh, commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. All right, so they were given, um, you know, that, that one prescription, right? You can eat freely from any tree. It's just that one tree, don't touch. And as Danny pointed out, you know that's what the serpent got Eve to do, eventually Adam as well, and they lost their innocence, didn't they? You break an egg, break an egg, can you put that egg ever back together? No. And that's sort of how sin works, isn't it? Uh, once sin has happened... Right? You can't take it back. You can't fix it. Uh, and so, so after yielding to the temptation of the serpent, 
you know, what, what do we remember happens to the relationship with Adam and Eve and God? Was it different? Yeah. Do you, do you remember what Adam and Eve did right after uh, when God returned to the garden uh, after they had committed that sin? Yeah, yeah, number one, they hid themselves, right? Why, why do you think they hid themselves? Uh, yeah, they realized that, you know, they were in trouble, weren't they? And, there, and then the other thing was, is that, remember, uh, they realized that they were unclothed, the, the Bible tells us, right? They realized they were naked. They realized that, uh-oh, you know, this isn't right. You know, and so they tried to um, fix that. And uh, again, uh, the guilt of those things, you know, of being naked and also of um, having to hide from God because, you know, they, uh, they, they knew that they had just violated something. The guilt drove them from God. And then, of course, God drove them from the garden, from, from the paradise. And so that age of innocence, as Brother Webster mentions, that age of innocence was now finished. Now, you and I... And now we think of you and I, uh, under different events, we have also been robbed of our innocence by the same thief. Um, he, he mentions this. I'm not going to quote much of his uh, track, but I, I did like this. He said, Our purity lasts until the thief of sin has made his entrance through the broken window of the mind or has kicked in the door to the heart. This might be a, a silly question, but does anyone remember their first sin? Probably unlikely. If you do, you want to share with us? <laughs> no. Uh, we, we, we probably don't remember it, do we? And uh, uh, we, there, there was probably, uh, when that happened, you know, we, we probably didn't think to ourselves, I'm no longer innocent. Uh, I'm no longer uh, free from sin, right? It, it just happens. Um, and so, but at that moment, Right? At that moment that we commit sin, especially for the first time, right? the sin takes that irretrievable treasure, our innocence. It takes our innocence. Are children born innocent? Or, or babies, I guess. They're not born innocent? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That that makes sense, right? It should, um, when when we're when children are born into the world, right? They're innocent, aren't they? Uh, Ezekiel, you know, I think this passage in Ezekiel is the one that we often go to. Uh, Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verse twenty, where it talks about the the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Right? And so, when we're born into this world, right, we're, we're innocent, we're free from sin. Uh, Jeremiah 19, verse 4, Jeremiah talks about how um, you know, he's getting on this, this, uh, this pagan king for this, uh, the, all of this child sacrifice that's going on. And he says, you know, this site that, that you're doing this is, you know, has the, the blood of the innocent, right? Because these babies are being sacrificed here. But, 
think of the New Testament. You know, what, what did Jesus say about children often in relationship to heaven? Right. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 3. You know, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 14, very similar. He says, let the, children, let the children alone and do not even hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If a baby dies, you know, uh, within, you know, let's say the first couple months of its life, you know, where is that baby going to be spiritually? Right, right, because uh, sin has not affected that baby, right? That, that, that baby hasn't had a choice to sin yet. Uh, he, he's innocent, he or she's innocent. But at some point, we do become sinners, don't we? Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 3, verse 10, No one is righteous. So at some point, again, we lose that innocence, and we become sinners. Uh, what, what, what's that phrase that we often use uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, that, that point in our lives when... Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's not a biblical term, right? We're not going to find that term in the Bible, the age of accountability. But that's what we often call it, right? That, that, that period of time where uh, we go from innocent to... Um, well, alive spiritually to, you know, dead spiritually. And, you know, let... Okay, so that, I was going to ask. So what is the age? What is the age that we become accountable to God? Sure, so... Yeah, so that, that, that's what I was going to throw out there, right? Is that... Uh, you know, you might have child A, right, who grew up in a, a Christian home, a Christian environment, sort of protected from the world, and, you know, they might grow up and maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit later in life, right? 15, 16, you know, again, these are just arbitrary numbers, but, you know, maybe it's at that point where they kind of come to that realization that, you know, uh-oh, you know, I'm accountable to God now. I've messed up. Whereas you might have another child, child B over here, who grows up in a harsh situation, right? He, he sees and hears things that he ought not to hear and see. And so maybe he's, again, you know, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years old. And, you know, maybe in that situation, he understands that, uh, you know, that sin's taking place and that they're committing sin, right? And that they're no longer innocent. And so again, yeah, exactly. We can't place a age on this, but um, but it's more of you know a situational thing, right? Uh, yeah. Now this is interesting. I I've thought about this before, and again, there's no passage in the New Testament that tells us this. But do you remember in uh, when the children of uh, Israel when they are uh, you know they're, they're, they've left Egypt and they're you know they're, they're headed out into the wilderness. And they start to complain and get on um, about God not providing for them. And God's going to tell them, 
uh, you know, every one of you who is 20 years and above, you're not going to make it into the promised land. You're going to die in the wilderness. And it's only those who are 20 years and below that are actually going to go into the land of Canaan, plus Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua were the only two older individuals, but even Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And so I've seen some people have said, okay, well, uh, you know, God put an age there, so maybe that's the age of accountability, right? Maybe. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so again, the emphasis is uh, you know, we can't put a, a number on it, right? We can't put a number on the age of accountability. Um, but it's more of, as Danny pointed out, it's more of a decision. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 15, uh, talks about uh, this, this boy, he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, uh, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. And again, Isaiah is just basically saying there's a time in your life when you're going to you know, either choose to do evil or choose to do good. Right? And that's kind of that, you know, that, again, that age of accountability where uh, in your mind you now recognize that, uh, you know, uh-oh, you know, I messed up. Right? I, I sinned. I'm accountable uh, to God. And so, again, we can't put a date on that. Or as a specific age, it's different from, from others. But again, the idea here is that all of us are going to lose that innocence at some point, right? Because of that thief, that robber, uh, that, that is sin. Let's look at the second point. I know we, we spent a, quite a bit of time on that first point. Uh, but the second point says sin steals the comfort from one's pillow. Uh, you remember uh, Jacob in uh, Genesis 28, you know, when he has that dream, that Jacob's ladder dream, and right after that, he goes to sleep right there at that site, and he sleeps on uh, a rock. He uses a rock as, as his pillow. How comfortable does that sound, you know? Um, but he was able to sleep, right? Because at that site, you know, he saw those angels ascending into heaven. He, he knew that God was there at that place, and it comforted him. Uh, in, in Psalm 3, David talks about how uh, he could he could go to sleep at night because um, because he knew that you know God was a shield about him right and so he was comforted and he could go to sleep at night. Well, how does someone who is living in sin sleep at night? It's tough, isn't it? And I hope everyone understands when I use the term sinner, you know we are all sinners, of course, but. Uh, when, I, when I use the term sinner tonight, more specifically, I'm talking about those who are, you know, living in sin, right? We all sin, we all fall short, but there are those who, you know, knowingly or unknowingly continue to live a life of sin. And so, yeah, a night's sleep is tough, right? Proverbs 13, verse 15, the way of the treacherous is hard. Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And again, just like that egg, 
when it breaks and we can't put it back together, you know, the clock of life can never be reversed. Right? We, we lie in our beds wishing we could undo the past. We try to change the subject, when, uh, but that memory remains. We can't fall asleep. Right? We may even dream about it. We may wake up and it's the first thing that we think that's in our minds. And it's hard. He says here, rest comes hard to a conscience pricked with a thousand needles of guilt. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 32. Uh, notice what David writes here in Psalm 32, uh, starting in verse 3. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Uh, through my groanings all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't it interesting how David uh, says there that uh, because of the sin that was in his life, uh, because he kept silent about it, right, that his body was wasting away, right? It was eating at him uh, for him to... Keep it in. He's groaning all day long. Uh, but then in verse 5, how does he get rid of that sin? How does he get rid of that problem? Hey, he says, I confessed it, right? I, I got that off my chest. I, went, I confessed my transgressions to you, God, and you forgave the guilt of me. Again, so many uh, go to bed at night with the, the heavy guilt of the sin uh, on them, and it's wasting away, as David said. It's eating me up, right? But, but David says how to get rid of that. He confessed it to the Lord. And, um, you know, it, I, this, this was even interesting as well in Psalm 139. Uh, I think this was David as well. Let me see. Psalm 139. Yeah, Psalm 139, David said in verse 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now that passage is interesting because he says, you know, search my heart. You know, if you find something that I'm doing wrong that maybe I don't even know about, let me know, right? See if there are any hurtful ways in me. Lead me to everlasting life. And so, again, you know, we think of David here. Uh, maybe he's having trouble sleeping at night. Is, is anyone familiar with the Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem, the, the Telltale Heart? You familiar with that poem? Yeah. yeah. About that, the, uh, the man who lived in the home with the older man, and the old, he, he refers to the older man as uh, this, this man that has these vulture eyes, and it just it drove him, you know, mad. Uh, so much so that, you know, one night, uh, according to, you know, the, that, that poem that he, you know, he, he kills the old man and he buries him in the floorboards of the house. You, maybe you remember this now. And uh, the police come because they heard a sh somebody heard a shriek in the night and the police come and to check things out. And they didn't find anything wrong. Right? They were about to leave. But the, the, the man who committed the murder, you know, he... he thought he was hearing the heartbeat of the man he'd murdered through the floorboards, 
right? And he kept hearing that to the point where he just confessed. Right? He just blurted it out uh, in front of the police. The police had no idea that that, uh, that that had happened. But because of guilt, because of his conscience, because of, again, that heavy strain right, of sin, of holding it back, um, he let it all out, didn't he? He confessed it. And again, that's sort of how the idea works. Right? Sin steals the comfort from one's pillow. Uh, point three, sin steals the self-confidence from one eye, one's eye. Uh, the, the eye tells much about what a man thinks of himself. What's that saying we often hear? The eyes are a window to the... Yeah, the eyes are uh, a window to the soul. Now that's not you know, a Bible passage, but uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. So we say the eyes are a window to the soul. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? So obviously at that time, right, they didn't just switch on a, or flip a switch and, you know, the lights came on. Of course, they had their oil lamps, right, and uh, as their light source. And, and, you know, Jesus is making an analogy here, right, that the eye serves as the lamp source for the human body, right? And if the eye is clear, uh, if the eye sees that light, you know, the body benefits from that, doesn't it? You're not knocking into things in the middle of the dark, right? You, 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 it influences your movements, uh, uh, which way to go and such. But if your eye is bad, if it's full of darkness, are you walking around confidently? You aren't, are you? And so, again, you know, Jesus makes the comparison with the lamp of the, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? So sin steals that self-confidence from one's eyes. Um, as sin weighs on one's soul, it sometimes shows in the, in the way that they see things, the way that they act, the way uh, visually, right? Can you tell if something's wrong with somebody by just looking at their eyes? Yeah, we can, can we? Um, the gymnast, you know, who um, gets those perfect tens, but the, the last time she was up, she, she slipped and fell and was never the same, right? Or, or the boxer who, you know, was undefeated and um, never got knocked out. But that one time that he got knocked out, again, he's, uh, he lost it, right? We say he lost his confidence. He lost uh, his hope. Uh, you know, you can, you can see it in their eyes. Uh, remember, let's go back to uh, Genesis um, chapter 4 again, you know, uh, we were just in Genesis 3, but uh, remember in Genesis chapter 4, you got Cain and Abel, and of course, you know, Abel brings that good sacrifice, Cain brings the sacrifice that's not pleasing to God, and could God, I mean, obviously God knows everything, but what, do you remember what he says to uh, Cain about the way that he looked? Could he tell just by his facial expressions that he was upset, angry, mad? 
says there in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, So Cain became very angry, and his, or his countenance fell. And when the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? And if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Right? God could see it in the face of Cain uh, that he was you know, upset, angry. Right? He could see it in his eyes right? that, that he had changed. And again, that's, that's the point uh, of sin. Right? It steals the self-confidence from one's eyes. Um, do you remember, and this is another point that Brother Webster brings up, but do you remember in John chapter 8, you have the story there of the uh, adulterous woman. Remember, uh, they, they pulled Jesus and um, this woman uh, to come to Jesus, and you know, they accuse her of committing adultery, and the man's not around. Right? The old law said that uh, if adultery happened, you know, the, that they both needed to be there, but the man wasn't there. This was a complete setup. Right? Uh, but you remember as... Um, as Jesus is talking, remember he's looking down, writing in the, in the sand, writing something. We don't know what he was writing. But it says in verse 9, you know, or excuse me, back in verse 7, Jesus says, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And uh, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then verse 9 says, And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he, left, and he was left alone, and the woman was uh, where she was in the center of the court. And you kind of get the picture, don't you, of, of these people who were there to accuse this woman who was trying to set up this trap, and Jesus, you know, outplays them as he always does, and one by one, they just kind of leave, right? They probably couldn't even make eye contact with Jesus. They just got up and left, and so they knew that they had failed in um, getting Jesus and failed in setting him up, and so uh, again, since sorry, oh yeah, their own guilt, right? Well, destroyed them, right? And so they they left. They didn't even try to argue with Jesus, and they knew that they had been caught, and so they left. So yeah, so sin steals the self confidence from one eyes, and then the last point he has is that sin steals the influence from one's life, right? You you were once a trusted friend. But maybe because of uh, something that you did, you know, no one comes to you for counsel anymore. Or uh, maybe a, a son who once looked up at his dad now has other heroes. Or a husband who is now the recipient of suspicious questions, right, every time um, that he, he talks to his wife, right, because of sin. It steals the influence from one's life. And I don't know how much, I think we're about to run out of time. But there's a really good illustration that he uses from the Old Testament of David's counselor, Ahithophel. And so here's a man who uh, was David's trusted counselor in 2 Samuel uh, 17. And uh, he and Absalom, David and Absalom, uh, they are fighting. Absalom's trying to take over the kingdom from David. And so David has to flee. But Absalom stays behind, and uh, he's going to try to, excuse me, Ahithophel stays behind, and he's going to try and to work in his good graces to uh, Absalom, right? Because he sees David fleeing, and he thinks that the tide's changing, and so he's going to change teams. Uh, he's no longer going to be faithful to David. And um, Absalom comes to him, and he asks him for counsel. You know, what should I do? And Ahithophel says, 
attack, right? Go after David while he's on the run. He's tired. Attack him. Get him. You know, kill him. But then uh, Absalom asks for the advice from another counselor, this a man named, uh, by the name of Hushai. Hushai says, uh, and he's a double agent at this time. This is kind of um, a little tough to follow, but he's a double agent right now working for David. And he says, no, don't follow, right? Uh, just stop. Let them go. We'll get them at another time. Let us regroup because David's probably uh, ready for this, right? So long story short, Ahithophel finds out that his um, advice is not taken and he knows that he had uh, just lost David's mistrust and he goes and, and he strangles himself, the Bible says, because he had, he's lost his influence, right? And, and that's what sin does. It, it steals the influence from one's life. And we have a lot more scriptures to get through, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll end here. I appreciate everyone's uh, attention this evening, and we'll look at one more uh, track lesson next week, and I'll have those on the back table as well.